0: Welcome to episode 14 of Sip On This, the podcast that brings you along the wondrous journey of wine country here in Sonoma and Napa and Fields Afar. I'm Roger Chung, and I'd like to introduce my co-host, Janae Gator. Janae, it's been a while since we've been together. So great to see you. You were down under in New Zealand making wine, which is super cool. Did you fall in love with a particular wine while you were down there?
1: Of new Zealand wines so I didn't really fall in love with anything new um, and I was on the North Island so I was not kind of immersed in Marlboro country but I did make a lot of Chardonnay.
0: We're in the Carneros region of Napa Valley where I think is one of the most stunning properties in the entire region and that is Domaine Carneros. The beauty and majesty of this parcel of land cannot be understated. We're inside an elegant French inspired home for the lack of a better word with expansive views of grapevines. We're in the southern end here of Napa and it It took me just about 65 minutes to drive here from San Francisco this morning. There's just rolling hills of perfectly aligned grapevines, and that's what I love about coming here to this property. It's just picture perfect. I'm excited to be here, and our very special guest today is Eileen Crane, the chief winemaker and president of this very special place. Eileen, glad to be here with you today. Welcome to Sip on
2: This. Well, I'm just absolutely delighted to share this beautiful day with you. I've been here at Domaine Carneros for 32 years. I was hired to build the winery. Mm. And um, still, after all these years, when I come to work in the morning, I think, why me? You know, it's so beautiful. It really is a gorgeous setting. So I don't get tired of it, and I don't think many other people do get tired of it either. It's really wonderful.
1: And I am so excited to be here with you, Eileen. I've always wanted to meet you, and you are essentially the grand dame of sparkling wine in the U.S., in my opinion. Um, So it's wonderful to be here with you, and... Also, just to be at Domain Carneros, which happens to be my favorite American sparkling wine house, and I drink copious amounts of this (laughs)
2: sparkware
1: daily, Um, and anyone who knows me knows that I love Domain Carneros, I love sparkling wine, I love champagne, it's even my Instagram name, which is Champagne and Reservations, so... (laughs) In the
0: previous episode, you did say that you do almost
2: drink wine, uh, sparkling wines every, every morning. Every
1: single day and every morning, absolutely. That's right. <laughs> well,
2: why not start it right, you know? Why not start it right, I agree. Yeah. This is my fourth
0: time here at this property, and it truly is, to me, the most quintessential wine country experience. And I think visitors to Napa and Sonoma should start their days here, usually under the warm California sun. And I've been out on your front, beautiful front patio doing a taste of uh, sparkling wine. And, and food pairing tasting, and we're going to do some of that with you
2: today. Absolutely. We're going to take a different twist on it. We have great pairings in our, on our terraces and in our main salon. Beautiful cheese plates and smoked salmon paired with our sparkling wines. But we have a special experience today. Um, the, the area we're in, the Jardin de Hiver, their Winter Garden, also called a Conservatory, a class house that we created about a year ago. And we decided for the grand opening we would do a special pairing here Mm. and this is called asian bites and bubbles so we've Selected a g- group of foods from um, the Pacific Rim to pair our sparkling wine with. And so that's what we're doing um, right now, is doing this this unusual pairing. There are pairing experiences throughout Napa and Sonoma, etc. But I think this is the only one that plays to um, our Asian heritage. And also the um, Conservatory, or Iver d'Hiver, um, was a period in Europe, in the mid to late 1800s, when Asian influence were flooding in. So in honor of this um, glass building, we've really made a nod to that with um, our Asian pairings. And when you come in, and you'll see some Asian touches as well. It's a fun place to be.
1: And it is incredibly, impeccably French. Um, and the detail at Domaine Carneros is another thing that I absolutely love so much from the actual chateau itself, to the grounds, to the Jardin d'Iver, everything is and very historically accurate and that's one of the things i love about this property if you cannot go to champagne then the next best thing is to come to carneros and come to domain carneros and have that same experience
0: you encapsulated that just right i think this is just one of the most beautiful elegant places that you can find yourself here in the napa valley but janae in front of us are four flutes of sparkling wi- for sparkling wine, but there's also a beautiful plate of food, small bites in front of us. Can you describe the actual setting that you're sitting in front of?
1: Absolutely, um, a wonderful platter um, with uh, scallops and chickpeas, a little Asian spring roll, um, some ahi tuna, and. Uh, a little bit of uh, soda noodles with chicken salad and spicy peanut sauce, and then we have a shooter of green tea pudding with a black sesame toll. Tool? Tool? Yeah. Tool.
2: I'll go either way with you. <laughs> <laughs> Among friends, we don't have to be too proud. I appreciate that. Okay
1: and they're sitting in front of this beautiful platter sitting in front of um, four fluted wines. I want to first ask you, Eileen, um, to talk to us about the history of this property.
2: So the Tatinger family, going back a ways in the mid-1930s bought an historic chateau Um, originally it was a champagne house and they bought this historic champagne house and started to produce uh, fine Champagne um, from that Chateau. It had a press facility beside it and a, a winemaking facility next to it as well as the Chateau. And the Chateau on that property is called Chateau de la Marquetry. And the Chateau de la Marquetry was the inspiration for the Chateau at domaine Carneros. Many people who've seen the Chateau de la Marquetri in Champagne will say, come here and they'll say, ah, yes. It's not identical, but it's close. And it's, it's not a whole us well it's a home for our wines Um, and i've been here 32 years so it's a home for me in many ways but uh, it's a it was a facility that was meant to um, receive guests as well as making wine and so uh, we really enjoy sharing not only how we make the wine but how the wine tastes and share our heritage in this beautiful chateau. The Champagne-Tatinger uh, family um, is a, a sort of a medium sized um, champagne house, I would say. And it's one of the few, maybe the only one, winery of any size, sparkling wine house, champagne house, um, that is still um, owned and operated by the family. So it's very much um, Pierre-Emmanuel Tatinger, who's at the head of Champagne-Tatinger. He was in on the original interviewing me for the this position. Um, his son is second in, in place, and his daughter um, is in charge of marketing and public relations. So it's we, we have a really complete family outlook. Sometimes I feel like I'm part of that. I've been with them so long. And they're just lovely, lovely people.
0: It's such a warm, wonderful feeling. Tell us a little bit about your wine journey.
2: My wine journey? Well, it's kind of a, a weird one. My father had landed on D-Day and survived and um, he fell in love first with French wines during the war and then German wines and when he came home we lived in New Jersey and that great winemaking state yes <laughs> 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 and he had a wine cellar and from the time I was eight he would let me taste the wine on Sunday dinner we only had wine Sunday dinner and I was always curious and I, I would help him pick out the, dinner, the wines oh, for fun. dinner yeah. yeah and it was mostly based on the colors and the labels and the pictures on <laughs> the labels, but he would kind of um, uh, help me with the pick-out. So um, one day, he made the mistake of opening a bottle of champagne, and I tasted it, and I thought... This is for me, mm. and ever after I tried to convince him. But Dad, we don't need that red wine; we need some more of that champagne. And he'd have to negotiate. Oh, honey, in a couple of weeks, and Elsie and Uncle Ray will be here, and then we'll open the bottle of champagne. So it was—it it was in my blood. But I grew up in New Jersey, and um, I assumed that if you wanted to, be, if you were going to be a winemaker, you were born into an Italian family in upstate New York. Mm. New York was a big one, you know. I didn't know about California much other than on a map. And um, but and I had a couple of careers beforehand. And um, the last thing that I did was actually go to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park. And I was there only 10 weeks. It was a, a mini course that they offered at the time. And while I was there, I met a real-life winemaker. And he had this book called The Art of Winemaking. And he... Um, let me look at the book and inside uh, it it was published by the University of California Davis Mm -hmm. and I thought well you know they must have a wine school or something going on at least they could point me in the right direction I was coming from you know the east coast I didn't know and when um I left that tasting, I called the University of California, Davis, and said, um, do you, is there an enology department? And they said, no, we don't have an enology department, we have a fermentation science department. I said, okay, put me through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I actually just took classes for about four months, everything I could learn for four months, and I actually started as a part-time tour guide um, at another French house, um, and and it was a part-time um, tour guide position. Um, and they their first winemaker quit, and they needed somebody to help in the lab. And they hired me in the lab for a six-week stint, and I left six years later. Mm-hmm. And I built another sparkling house before I came uh, to Domaine Carnero. So I'd, um, I'd never planned to be in construction, but it turned out that I... Built one wine, and then I built Domaine Carneros, and then I, we've also built a spark excuse me—a Pinot Noir facility mm. right behind mm. us. So we also make still mm-hmm. Pinot Noirs that are really delicious, as well as our sparkling ones. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And when you come to the winery, you can taste. We have an array of different samplers of different sparkling wines, and we also have um, mixed. Uh, tastings where you can do half Pinot and half Sparkling as well. You taste a a wide range of what we have on offer. Mm. It's
1: fantastic. I love that story.
0: What was it about the champagne or sparkling wine at that young age that really tickled you, that made you just
2: fall in love? Well, I think you're right. It tickled me. The bubbles Mm -hmm. tickled me on the palate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... Uh, as a sparkling winemaker, I have maybe a more delicate palette. Um, I I tend to like uh, well, I like a wide array of wines, but I don't tend to go to heavy reds. Those are, t- those are too much on my palate. Mm-hmm. I tend to look for things that are understated, elegance, where the flavors are very nuanced mm-hmm. and that there's um, a real flow from the nose to the palate um, to the swallow, that all the way through you get uh, a consistency. And I often will uh, use the analogy of our wines— as um, Audrey Hepburn in The Little Black Dress. Mm. Perfect analogy. Elegant, understated, every piece in its place. Mm -hmm. Not too much, but everything that's needed is right there. She's kicky, she's fun. And she has a social conscience, and that's what I think domain Carneros is. Oh, Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely, I love that. Uh, and I'm ready, it's tickling my senses right now,
0: I'm ready to jump in. Are you? Oh, it's amazing,
1: I haven't t- drunk them already. <laughs>
2: start. Great, great forbearance here. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Knowing you, it would normally be down at the bottom of the ground
2: today. (laughs) Can I I take a minute and just um, bring up a little point that might be of interest to um, listeners as well as you. Um, These are called a tulip glass actually. Mm -hmm. They kind of have the shape of a just gently opening tulip itself. And um, the flute is perhaps the most traditional um, sparkling wine or champagne glass. The tulip is a little bit fuller and there's a lot of discussion right now about what's the best glass to put your champagne or bubbles in. And um, some people say it's really a white wine glass mm-hmm. or you could even use a bigger glass than that and people say to me well, well which is really the correct glass and I always say what works for you That's what's right. what's pleasing to you and I like this glass in particular this tulip shaped glass it's a little bit fuller you can get your nose in it and you can catch the aroma of the wine uh, but at the same time you can see the bubble streaming up and it's enough of a, a traditional champagne glass that it still has that best Factors to
0: it. Does the shape of the glass affect the longevity of the effervescence? <laughs>
2: It doesn't really, like a method champenoise. the real classic style of sparkling wine like we make, um, those bubbles are really in there because we've aged these wines a very long time. Um, we, we, we don't release anything before at least three years, mm-hmm. and some of our wines aren't released until 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those bubbles are really integrated into the wine as well. So it's um, it's the, the glass is not going to really affect that too much. But the, you see the bubble. And you get to enjoy the sight of the bubbles much better in a flute or in a tulip. Yes. And
0: when you see those bubbles, what what does that make you feel?
2: I want a sip. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Eileen, can you walk us through the very first sparkling?
2: Yes, absolutely. So the first one is called an ultra-brut. And a brut sparkling wine, brut means it's very dry. It's it's crisp and very dry. And ultra-brut is beyond crisp. It's crisper. I'm not sure if that's a term, but yes. Um, It's crisper, and um, it has a lower sugar level. Mm -hmm. Almost all sparkling wines produced in the world have a small amount of sugar added to them. And the ultra-brut is very low on that amount. So this is a wine that I enjoy in a number of ways. Um, If I'm having oysters, for instance, the ultra-brut is the thing. It doesn't need to be complexed with um, any kind of sweetness, and we're matching it here today with um, these uh, bay scallops with a little spicy yuzu sauce. Mm. Now it's not heavily spicy, mm-hmm. but and the yuzu is kind of a you know Asian. Uh, feel to it and taste to it and I think the richness of the scallops and the uh, creamy yuzu sauce but isn't sweet that that goes particularly well with the ultra brew. Yuzu is uh, a citrusy uh, sauce yes. uh, lemons and lime
0: flavors which I think my mouth is already anticipating it even before I've sipped and tasted
2: uh, i just going to extract some beautiful lovely citrus notes. I think you're absolutely right and it's a little bit more exotic than a lemon or a line. I'm about to bite into this
0: and my mouth is anticipating something that might complement it. But is it going to be more of a complement with the pairing, or is it going to be more of a point counterpoint, something that'll balance out uh, the yin and yang of the food and the, the bubbles?
2: Well, I'd say both. So the richness of the scallop shell scallops to me always seem very rich mm-hmm. um, and dense. Um, on the other hand, the yuzu is crisper, and there's also this, this creamy sense to it, and a little bit of. Um, little bit of yuzu over the top, but I would say that it's both. The the citrus note plays well with the ultra-brute, but at the same time, the scallop is the richness that you can kind of clear your palate with, um, and you've got a little yin and yang with the scallop there. So I think it's kind of a complex pairing. Ah, I can't wait.
1: It's making me happy already. Oh, hurt. oh.
2: Um,
1: I love ultra fruit, and that is because um, it is very dry. Anybody who knows me knows that I like champagnes that are, like, low or no dosage, and zero mallow, or so I can just taste the acidity. I like something that rips my mouth off, and I would not say that this rips your mouth off. It's actually pretty delicate, mm-hmm. um, but you don't get that... You, 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 you can definitely tell that it is a very low dosage. And by yeah. dosage, we mean um, sugar and, and sugar and wine mixture. Um, so it is wonderful. I get a touch of butterscotch. I do get some citrusy notes, some lemon. Mm-hmm. A little bit of like, it's almost like lemon curd. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of lime. And um, probably some yuzu, but that might actually come from the yuzu sauce that's on, <laughs> on my dish. Um, and a hint of minerality. It's almost, it's its negligible, but it, it's more fruit than anything. And it is a lovely, wonderful, um, just elegant, elegant wine.
2: I think one thing that you notice when, with the Domaine Carneros wines is that we... While they're restrained and they're elegant wines, you get this this wonderful nose. Then it fills your mouth with flavor. That's you really right. can fill your mouth with flavor. We um, we grow the vast majority of our grapes were about ninety percent estate grown. We're going to a hundred percent, and because we age the wine so long, um, we have this um, complex flavor in the mouth, and you can kind of. It, you don't expect it to be as big and round in the mouth because it is a delicate nose, and then it has a nice long finish. And the great, great wines of the world, whether they be sparkling or Cabernet or Zinfandel, whatever, any great wine should have a very long finish. You should still be able to taste it for quite a while after you've finished the sip mm-hmm. um, and so that's what I think this wine does and we really aim for that in all of our wines then not only do you have a beautiful nose but it falls through on your palate it fills your mouth with flavor it's not huge but it's, it fills your mouth with delicate flavors and then this long finish And again, you've got the bubbles in this. That's a little tickle sensation that really pushes the flavor up into your your palate, into your uh, nose, etc. It really fills your senses with aromas.
1: When we drink sparkling wines from Napa, they mostly come from, or all come from, the AVA of Carneros.
2: Yes. Well, the um, the AVA of Carneros, and we're one of the first um, American viticultural appellations to be... um, so designated, um, and the Carneros is unusual in that it supersedes the county line. We are both mm-hmm. in Napa and Sonoma County. That is the Appalachian. The winery is actually at the base of Napa Valley, but we both b- source grapes from both sides. Um, we don't really acknowledge a line. Um, we ha- call it eastern and western, um, and it's it's an appellation that is cool. And it's cool because it sits on top of the San Francisco Bay. So it gets the influence of the bay, and and it keeps it very cool. Even though it's the southern portion of Napa and Sonoma Valley, it's cooler than Up Valley. Mm and so that's why it's really good for um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Chardonnay and Pinot Noir like cooler climates. Champagne is a cool climate, it's a region one, Northern Burgundy is a region one, and Carneros is a region one. So it's an ideal area um, to grow cool climate grapes with more depth of character.
0: I gotta say, I took a sip of the Ultra Brew, I took several sips of it, and (laughs) you know when you have that effect that you just want to save something to be the last bite? I did that with the first bite. Mm -hmm. And I'm saving some in the glass because it's just that elegant. Very dry at the very tip of the tongue when it first enters your mouth. And then citrusy, as you noted, uh, the lemons and the limes. But I also get a hint of that sweet Asian pear. Mm -hmm. and Perhaps it's because I'm being influenced by this Asian fusion tasting menu, but I also get a little bit of that note in this as well. And then I paired it with these scallops. Mm I mean, phenomenal. It reminds me, and as you know, Janae, I'm a total foodie. I've traveled around the country, eaten at some of the greatest places in the country and in the world. This is top-notch. The creaminess of it just lingers and lasts in the mouth, the yuzu sauce of, this, of these beautiful scallops, the, the saltiness of the scallops, and there are many scallops, uh, so it's not overpowering, but simple and delicate. And then to counterpoint it, with, again, another splash uh, of the Ultra Brute. Just makes it so elegant, wonderful, delectable, that I saved a little bit in my glass to save for the end and a couple more small scallops uh, for the last bite. And Janae, you're giggling over there because you've already finished your glass of the Ultra Brute.
2: Yep. (laughs) That could happen, Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean,
0: you want a good time? You hang with Janae.
2: Yeah, right. I can tell that. Yeah. <laughs> I think she and I have many tastes. I'm sure. I'm not yeah. not sure. Oh, this is so wonderful. And that's just the first. That's just the yeah, first. Yeah. You have a few more. I think dive us into the second one, please. Well, the second pairing, this is our estate um, Brut cuvee. It's hundred percent estate grown fruit. It's a twenty thirteen, which is um, it shows how long we age our wines. That would be um, we don't release them young. Young wines are normally the lesser wines, even among the champagne and sparkling wine producers. Um, The non-vintage champagnes and sparkling wine are not the top of the line. They're not worth aging that long. But um, our estate, Brut, is aged a long time um, for complexity. We think it deserves that age. And we have paired this with a a fresh spring roll with daikon, mango, and mint. Mm. Now this particular wine, the Brut Cuvée, I think is the most versatile of our wines. The um, brute is something that will go f- with virtually anything. People, it's what, if I'm d- doing a party at home or even here, it's something that we start with. Um, not because it's a lesser wine, because it, we think it appeals to um, most people who, mm-hmm. who have a fine palate. And so we we've, we've paired this with an unusual pairing. Normally, sparkling wine we serve it with um, seafood, shellfish, cheese. Um, s- smoked salmon, those sorts mm. of things people think of that, but I, we want to show out of the box. And this one is an all-vegetarian um, selection. It's got mango, mint, um, daikon. It, it's, it's not expected, but we like the idea that it's uh, to show how Bristol, this particular wine, the Estate Brut um, 2013. For the audience, what does Estate mean? What does Cuvée mean? Ah, good questions. Estate means that all of the grapes come from our own vineyards. So a winery can buy grapes um, or they can grow their own grapes. We grow our own grapes because we can control the quality. Mm -hmm. Enormously important, I think, to the quality of the wine. So um, that reflects, estate reflects who grows the grapes and who has control of the growing of the grapes, and that's what, estate where we are in control of the quality, and when it's picked, etc. Um, cuvee is a diff, is a harder word to describe. Cuvee means about three or four different things. Mm-hmm. Cuvee means when you press the juice, press the grapes, and get them to release their juice. The first cut is called the cuvee. Um, there's often a second pressing and a third pressing, and those have other names. Most of the U.S. sparkling houses use the French terms. It'll be confusing, but I'll, I'll throw them out there. The second press is called the tie or the tailings, and then the press is the hard press. Okay. So uh, the cuvee in, in at the press really means that um, it's the first pressing of the grapes. However, that changes when you get, um, when it's, once it's in the winery, um, it's in a tank, and then it's one of the cuvées. So then it becomes, um, the, what's in the tank is the cuvée, and that's an oddball thing that it makes that transition when I started in the industry 32, 42 years ago, actually, I started at a, uh, another sparkling house. It took me about uh, two and a half weeks to figure out what they're talking about. There are all these cuvées. And then we do... at during September, October, November, and December, we do the blend of the different tanks, the Chardonnays and the Pinot Noirs. And our Chardonnays are different clones of Pinot, different types of Chardonnay, different types of Pinot Noir. And we spend about four months creating our cuvées. That's an unusually long amount of time, but we want it to be just right. So we do this blending of the cuvées. Those are the tanks. But they're also the blending of um, the Chardonnay and the Pinot Noir. So at that point, we have we call these cuvées in the cellar. After they're blending, there's still the cuvée. And then what we put on the, the label is cuvée also, which reflects what was in the cellar, what was in the tank, what was at the pressing. Mm-hmm. But the name keeps following you through. So I, it's, it's almost difficult to understand. But when you, when you buy a bottle, cuvée means the blend. Uh, the creation of the blend. Most fine sparkling wines in Champagne are involved with two or three different grape uh, varietals. Mm-hmm. And classically, um, in California, it's Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Sometimes people use another grape, such as Pinot Gris, Pinot Meunier, um, or some examples, Pinot Blanc. In Champagne, they use Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. Mm-hmm. A couple of people in California use Meunier also. The French use Meunier in Champagne for a different reason than we, than one would. Um, we don't use it, but it's, it buds out earlier, excuse me, it buds out later than the Pinot Noir. And so if the Pinot Noir is uh, struck by hard frost, you still have the Pinot Meunier coming on. And Champagne is a more northerly climate, and they do have hard frost. Um, and the other thing is Pinot Meunier ages more rapidly, and so they use it predominantly in their non-vintage cuvee, so it has more of a sense of roundness in a non-vintage uh, champagne or sparkling wine. We age our wine so long that we don't need that from a Meunier. In our climate, in Carneros, while it's cool, um, we don't usually get hard frosts in this region, so we don't really need it. Right. Good.
1: Um, so this beautiful, light gold, um, very clear and, and, and just... Mm. and. and, and Dare I say, sparkly? Oh yes, um, it is. and it is magnificent. It is, I, it, it's much richer than the ultra brew. Um, it seems a lot more viscous. Uh, I get a lot of kind of secondary and tertiary flavors immediately. So I get that kind of brioche, that kind of uh, toasty, nutty characteristic that I so love in champagne. Um,
0: a little bit creamier. It's
1: yeah, definitely creamier. And it's, it's wonderful.
0: (laughs) And on the nose, it's a beautiful bouquet.
1: Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you do it. I don't know if it's your proprietary yeast or if there's something going on with the soil. Um, but it doesn't taste like a Cali sparkling wine. It's very reminiscent of champagne, but do you have any idea of why that is? I, I mean, you're just that good, but also, um,
2: well, you know sparkling houses create their own style, whether it be in champagne and they are sparkling houses but um, and in California we each there's a palette, you know um, a, a great house wherever it is usually has some has a palate the person who's um, creates the wines and it's your style. It's what um, plays to your palate, and you could think of this as you know, if you go to a great restaurant, you, it's the chef's palate that creates the dinner. Okay, so the chef. What they think works, what they feel is good, is their palate. So when you go to a winery, especially a smaller winery where the winemaker is truly in control of the, of the blending and the quality, um, it's their palate. So it's not a formulaic thing. Maybe in bigger restaurants and in bigger uh, wineries, it might be a, a consortium that makes the decision, or it's made to certain standards. But we, but w- what we produce here is all made to my palate. You know. But even you know, like restaurant restaurateurs and winemakers, things change over time. Um, and you know, like Picasso, so yeah, change. Picasso went from the. The rose period to the blue period of that, and then went on to Cubanism, cubism, cubism, etc., etc., and that with winemakers and chefs that also happens. Mm-hmm. So um, there are evolutions. So and hopefully the the evolutions create better products mm-hmm. and better experiences in the end.
0: I just had that Vietnamese influenced fresh spring roll with the daikon, mango, and mint, and in one bite, I get multiple tiered layers of flavor. The daikon brings in that crunchiness. The mango here and there in the mouth, that sweetness. And then the mint is just that fresh pop that you have in the mouth. Paired with the estate brute cuvee, delectable. But the one thing that resounded in me when I ate, when I bit into that, um, into that spring roll, I don't know how recent or where you source the ingredients for this fresh it feels like when i've been into it i was out in the field just pulling the grass and gnawing on that myself and it was that elegant that lovely
2: well the caterer who does this is very much committed to quality and getting this fresh and of course we're in the season now where mm-hmm. it's easy to get really fresh. Mm-hmm. We all, not all of us, but mo- most people here are very conscious of food quality because they're in the food and wine business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the farmer's markets are usually jammed mm-hmm. because we're looking for the, the best and the freshest. Gotcha. Lovely.
0: Lovely. What do we have next?
2: Well, we just had a glass of pink poured for us. Yes. And this is our classic r- root rosé. And this um, is actually named for a woman, Madame de Pompadour. Mm-hmm. Madame Pompadour was Louis the great paramour. She was Louis the Fourteenth was the Sun King, Louis XVI got the cold chop. Louis the Fifteenth got Madame Pompadour, and uh, Madame Pompadour was very influential in the court of Versailles, and she loved champagne. Mm. She fell in love with it, and she popularized champagne in the court. And of course, the court was the fashion maker. It's even possible if she hadn't been there and in love with sparkling wine, champagne might have been just a flash in the pan, but she made it an important wine. And then it became important for diplomatic circles, um, for people who aspired to be part of royalty or the upper classes. And still today, almost all diplomatic occasions end with a glass of sparkling wine of any type. But it becomes something that's it's expected. And it's funny because at weddings, of course, you... Um, always have to have champagne, right? You have to have something with bubbles in it. And people serve it with wedding cake, and that's kind of the wrong place, mm-hmm. in my opinion. <laughs> because at the end of the, end of the all of this, first of all, palates are worn out, and you've got a lot of sugar in the cake. You really should, as a um, host, you should be serving coffee, not mm-hmm. wine at that point. I always say... Uh, for a wedding, you should always start because the the highest moment is right after the wedding. Everybody wants to cheer and, and toast the the couple and just raise their glass. And um, so I always suggest that when your palate's fresh, you can really taste um, the sparkling wine and enjoy it. And it also sets the mood for the whole event. So I um, I, I know I'm not very conventional, but. Let's change that to um, right after the ceremony. Just start with a good glass of bubbles and, and enjoy it. Get well, ready for fun.
0: speaking of mood, just listening to you just totally mesmerized me for a split moment there where you literally put me back into a place where I was in Lyon, France. Ah. And in that moment that you were describing the history and the story, I just felt that elegance and love and romanticism mm-hmm. of being in France. but that I look outside and see these beautiful rolling hills and that reminded me that I'm here in California. And you can live that. I can,
1: it's very true. Yeah.
0: Janae, describe yes. the color of this beautiful rosé.
1: Pale salmon. Mm-hmm. Um, hint, mm-hmm. this hint of color um, that almost looks like it's glowing. And that is, I I just chalk that up to the majesty of champagne and sparkling wine. And then the flavor is unbelievable. These magnificent berry flavors, um, both red berries and some blackberries, which is very interesting for a wine uh, like this. And it is amazing. Paired with this ahi tuna and avocado mousse, it's it's lovely.
0: This is Probably the best sparkling wine that I have ever had, honestly. Ah. Wow, the elegance of this, the sheerness
2: of this, amazing. Janae was absolutely right. It's got um, a fruit character. It's not yes. sweeter than the other wine, uh, the fruit, but it's um, it's got that, I often get like a little bit of strawberry, a little bit of stone fruit, like um, peach, peach or... Apricots, since it's apricot season, and it also um, it uh, get berries in that. So often, you know, and when you smell a wine originally, um, and you come back to it, and you, you pick up different things in each one. We if the first sniff is not the only one. You should keep going because the wine opens up, it changes little by little, and rosés are interesting wines because the color is the marker, mm-hmm. and you know you don't. Um, the Brute, for instance, it's a pale golden color, it's pretty, and, but Brutes are usually in that range. Sometimes they're a little browner, sometimes they're a little lighter, but they're not markedly different. Whereas Rosés can be almost red in color, a light red.
1: Uh, in the wine industry, know that Champagnes are food friendly, but a lot of people outside of the industry don't. They don't know that. They can pair um, one of my favorite pairings, like an aged Rosé Champagne or sparkling wine with Barbecue. Mm-hmm. Or that you can actually drink it with breakfast and like brioche, French toast. They don't, they, they don't know this, and they see it as a a special occasion versus uh, a wine to drink every day. So, can mm-hmm. you talk about? why it's so food friendly and and, and and just try to convince people just to get out and drink some.
2: <laughs> so my first experience in a restaurant um, with a bottle of champagne, I was with a uh, gentleman mm-hmm. and um, we, he ordered a bottle of champagne for me and we had filet mignon with it mm-hmm. and I fell in love with the combination. Not with the gentleman, but I, <laughs> <laughs> but he did order that bottle. We remained great friends, the, <laughs> but the, it it really worked, and that that sort of set my mind because there are all these rules about white wine and red wine and yes. sparkling wine, and we all have different palettes. Sure. and. At home, I still do that. they will be, sometimes we, last night we had it with a swordfish. Sometimes mm. we have it um, with barbecue. Mm-hmm. It's not limited to where it is. And it's, I think, people have different palates. Sometimes people really want a heavy red wine. Um, but... Uh, that's not the, that's not what the sparkling wine does and we have different palates some people want heavy wines they need the heaviness to really create um a taste for them and more delicate palates are usually happy to taste um the sparkling wines with heavy because a heavy meal um will be lightened and will refresh your palate Absolutely. whereas if you have a heavy piece of beef, for instance, and you match it with a heavy wine, there's no reprieve. There's nothing that um, cleanses your palate, takes care of it. And I I suggest to anybody, try sparkling wine with a heavier dish and see how you like it. You just try it once, and I think you'll be converted. If not, it's not for you. But a rosé is a good place to start if you want to try that. Well,
0: I had the ahi tuna poke in the wonton with mm. avocado mousse, and it was very comforting because it was very, the flavors was very familiar. Yes. Right? And I took a, a, a sip of the beautiful Brut uh, rosé and that just stands out in its pure beauty. I don't think that needs anything to complement it. It, it. It's just that impeccable. I love yes, it. Thank, thank you. you so much.
2: Thank
1: you. You're yeah. very welcome.
2: I agree.
0: Next we have the soba noodle and chicken salad with spicy peanut sauce and are we going to pair that with uh, the vermilk?
2: Yeah, vermeil actually, and verme—that's the rookie in me. That's rookie. Everybody has a little rookie in there, and, and it's a good thing. We all are rookie all, at something. We're yeah. all learning. We're all that's learning. Right. Yeah. So verme um, is a term that refers to usually silver that's been covered over with gold, and there's in fact a verme room um, in the White House, mm. and um, it that idea of silver with a gold covering. And this is um, a wine that the classic brewed and then it's had a dosage of our Le Reb, our cuve. And so that, and yet at the same time, it's a slightly sweeter wine. It's not a heavily sweet wine, but it's a little bit sweeter. And sometimes people assume that a sweet wine is gonna be of lesser quality. And I think we, we kind of diss things that we think are not um, dry. But this is an opportunity to look at how food friendly a wine that's got a little bit of sugar in it um, can really work. And we've actually paired this with two separate dishes. Um, the soba and noodle chicken salad with the spicy peanut sauce and the, the green tea pudding with black sesame tulle. Mm-hmm. And so you can see how this goes with two very different flavors. Of course, the, um, the soba and the um, spicy peanut sauce, that, that, that I think plays very well with the, the lightly sweet verme. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, in a different way, it goes very well with the green tea pudding. And it's um, the pudding is sweet, but it's not very sweet. And on the t- same time, um, there's this is a little bit sweet on the um, soba noodle and chicken salad. So it's it's fun to taste. Uh, Two dishes that are that work well with this wine, and I often it's, this is often what I will serve um, at the end of a meal at home in the backyard instead of serving the heavy dessert grilled uh, fruit. On the Barbie. Mm-hmm. So once you've got those ribs off, grill the uh, the fruit on the Barbie and serve that with a little creme fresh or whipped cream, and and go to um, the vermeil. And people love that because usually you've had a half heavy meal, you're happy to have. Um, fresh fruit and, and enjoy that with a, an unusual pairing of a lightly sweet wine. Well, right off the bat uh,
0: I took a sip of it and it just uh, had great elegance to it, but then as you were talking about the two different offerings of food that uh, that go well with this, and you were describing the soba noodle chicken salad with spicy peanut sauce, I was washing your hands and you were when you were describing that this dish, you were, your hands were separated and you were doing a point-counterpoint Opposite effect with your hands, and then when you were describing the green tea pudding, you brought your hands together in a clasp right in front of you that talked about compliments, So I can't yeah. that just talked about the versatility mm-hmm. of this uh, sparkling.
1: Well, Roger, hurry up and taste it. Because <laughs> it is just it, it's kind of unreal. Is it really it kind of is what, unreal?
0: When you say unreal, like what really impressed you?
1: What really impressed me? So the uh, the mm. the the dosage. Uh, a, a larger dosage than the rest of the wines that we've had. So again, audience, that is uh, the addition of sugar, um, sugar and wine mixture at the end. Um, it really brings out the peanut
0: yes. sauce. Yes. like yes. it,
1: like like literally, it's a perfectly a perfectly paired complement. Mm-hmm. It is like a. The, the, the couple that you see and you're like, wow, I wish my relationship were like that. It is a wonderful, like perfect pairing mm-hmm. um, because the the sugar content is not as sweet, I don't think, as, uh, as the peanut sauce, but it kind of enhances the flavor of the peanut sauce, mm-hmm. but then also changes kind of the flavor of the demi Sec. It is... There's science here that's going on, and that's oh, why I love food pairings. I love it's just—it's incredible.
2: I think you're absolutely right about that. That you've got the freshness from the taste of the sparkling wine, and and the richness from the um, peanut sauce and the the noodles, and it's—they really play off of each other yes. very, very nicely. And that you know, th- this is not a sweet wine, but it has a tinge of sweetness to it. Yes. And I think it really goes well with many Asian dinners. I've done that at home, paired it with various types of um, Asian dinners, and I've really enjoyed it that way. Although, as we've talked earlier, it simply goes with fruit, or it can go with a dessert, Mm -hmm. per se. Mm -hmm.
1: And when you get to the fifth course of a green tea pudding, the green tea pudding just is completely enhanced and transformed by uh, the demi-sec. For all of you listeners out there, come and have this pairing, and you will know exactly what I'm talking about.
2: And I think that these wines adapt very well to a wide range of palettes. So it's a matter of trying different things with sparkling wine. Maybe try start with traditional um, items, and then give it a shot, you know? Imagine how you can upgrade Thursday night when you bring in the Chinese takeout and you open a bottle of good bubbles. Changes the whole experience, you know? It's just like, it's, you can, and I've found that over the years, but I'm always so busy that when I entertain, I have very simple things. But you bring out a great bottle of bubbles and they forgive you that you didn't, (laughs) (laughs) you didn't sweat over a hot stove. (laughs) Yes, you're forgiven. Yeah, so... While we're here, we might want to let people know that um, what we're tasting here is available, that you can That's make right. a reservation. The pairing price is $95, not only for the pairing, but for the uh, four wines that we're tasting here today. So well it's a great it. opportunity. Well worth it.
1: Why did the Tattinger family decide to go with Domaine Carneros versus Maison Carneros? And what are you excited about in sparkling wine?
2: Well then in France the Maison is the house and the domain is the the land and usually it refers to um, or does refer to when you say a domain that means that you own your vineyards and that you actually farm them so a domain is a domain could have a house on it, a house um, but it's really the enclosure in the world of wine that um, that's owned by the the house. But Maison does not imply that they own their own vineyards. Maison simply means house.
1: Okay, cool.
2: Eileen, we're recording this episode of Sip on This
0: in May 2019. We started early this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually got here before the winery opened, but as time passed, and uh, we are inside, but we're overlooking the beautiful patio that you have here, and as we were going through this episode, I noticed that people started to arrive here. <laughs> and. And as I started this episode, it's picture perfect, and outside is a table of, of uh, 20s and 30-somethings, maybe a party of eight on this beautiful patio overlooking the beautiful rolling hills of green and, and, and bronze. Uh, and there's a lake and a farmhouse with a silo. When people come here, and you're the leader of this, of this beautiful winery, what is the experience that you want people to have when they come here, and what's the impression that you want when they leave here?
2: Well, we certainly want people to have a good time. After all, wine is about a good time, about enjoyment. Um, and we try to make that um, as possible as possible. We, um, we have wonderful pairing plates to go with the wines. We have a variety of wines. Um, so, Even if you're not necessarily a sparkling wine drinker, you're probably going to have a good time here. Our mission is to be the world's most memorable sparkling wine I experience. Really, very close to that. If yeah. not, I already achieved that. Yeah. Well, we keep trying. You know, the, yeah. you, Even if you're sitting on the right track, you'll get run over, as Will Rogers said once. Yeah. But um, we really try to make it as positive, as good, as delightful experience as we possibly can. That really is our goal. We want people. And if people say, I'm not into sparkling wine, we have wonderful Pinot Noirs, although I do notice that somebody in the group will have sparkling wine, and there'll be the glass passed, Mm -hmm. and there'll be a sip, and all of a sudden it's like... Oh. oh. Because so many Americans have had really mediocre um, sparkling wines and champagnes. And um, so they, they taste something that's to their palate. They taste something that they really enjoy. And all of a sudden, they think, ah, we've had a lot of conversions here. So awesome. people see, and they want, and they enjoy. So um, th- that's our mission, to really make it as, as positive as possible. So we've done that um, for years. And we o- we're always looking for the next best thing for enjoyment.
0: Beautiful location easy to get to the sun is coming out. It's going to be a wonderful warm day Uh, Beautiful luxurious wines that are well reasoned priced and totally accessible to the the audience Um, I think and then you are so inviting here Uh, Not only with the property and the beauty and elegance of it, but your staff is just so friendly like I said, this is like my fourth time here and and you really have a great thing going on here. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And before you go, Eileen, a wonderful meal. Uh, one of your wine educators at mm-hmm. Domaine Carneros has just poured us Le uh, Lorrev, which is your Tente de Cuvee. Can you talk to us about what a tete de cuvee or prestige cuvee is and um,
2: about this lovely wine that we've been poured. So this is a um, the Le Rev, which means the dream. Um, and it's, we only make a tiny bit of this. It's really, there are a couple of restaurants around the country, just a few who, that have this. So it's really, you have to come to the winery if you want Le Reve. Um, and it's a blanc de Blonde, Blonde. It's 100% um, Chardonnay. And this is going to sound odd, but um, in sparkling wines, Chardonnays age longer than Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. People always say, oh, well, it's a red grape. It will, but the Pinot Noir is pressed without skin contact. So the Chardonnay actually ages longer. And the greatest sparkling wines and champagnes in the world tend to be either 100% Chardonnay or heavily Chardonnay. So um, because... It really—it's an incredible ager. So this wine, Larev, um, we we re, we um, release this after eight years of aging. Mm. So it's really a, a very special wine, um, limited release, and uh, it's, a, it's a, a great old friend. You know, when I, uh, this I is it. not That's this disgusting. is not what I drink on a Wednesday night normally, but. Um, it is a wine um that calls to me oh. so um, for special occasions and sometimes it's just um friday night with my honey but it, when you you think ah, i need something a little bit more then so the Lareb is the one this is beautiful this reminds me of a diamond
1: I and i will say this. that it is dreamy
2: yeah it really is
1: it really is
0: can i get these in the retail market
2: Yes, um, our brutes and rosés are in the, um, you can find them in the broad market. You can also order them online, which is an easy way to do it. We have a wonderful wine club with wonderful um, events here, Mm. a wide array of events here. And so you can enjoy the Chateau not only for tastings, but coming back in an evening and doing Le and Lobster or... Mm. um, uh, Teas um, around the holidays and things. So there's a wide array of educational programs, um, and we really enjoy doing that. Having people come by and those are our club members have those have those advantages too. But come and join us. I mean, we're open seven days a week, ten o'clock. I think the last um, pouring is five thirty. You don't have to do a whole pairing. You can do a glass or two. At the same time, you probably will want to do a pairing because it's such a broader experience, such an enjoyment that you can do that.
0: And you're on the edge of Napa and Sonoma, right on the southern tip as people are entering this area. What's the address here? How do people get here?
2: Well, it's 1240 Duhigg Road, but really you can't miss it. If you're driving by the Carneros Highway, also known with the romantic name of 121-12, um, um, you you'll drive by the Chateau on the Hill. People say, well, ha, ha, I can miss anything. I said, yeah, but you can't miss. You can't you miss. Domaine Main So don't drive by, drive in, um, like and that. join us for um, the tasting of your choice
0: well i think mean, this has just been a phenomenal morning with you thank you so much i love how much you shared about yourself and about this winery i can't wait to come back and do it all over again well absolutely and bring friends and bring friends they gotta yeah. do what we just did here today yes and absolutely your passion
1: is palpable and we appreciate that so much and our listeners do as well we just thank you and we love you
2: well thank you <laughs> appreciation and love it i want more could i ask thank you. you so what's the best way to make a reservation here you can make a reservation online at, or you can call.
0: Their website is domaincarneros.com. I Eileen, mean, thanks again. Such a wonderful morning with you. Appreciate it. If you uh, want to come visit Domain and it, it is a for me a must-visit. I think everybody needs to come here. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sip on this and you can listen to us on at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud TuneIn, or anywhere where you get your podcast. And you can see pictures from today's episode at siponlist.org and ask us questions that we'll answer on a future podcast. Until next time, live life peacefully, productively, and
2: deliciously. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> life is short. Why not? Do it, right? right? Well, yes. Delicious Thank you so much. Thank you.